Well, uh, nine long weeks ago, we started out the Alpha Course with basically two questions. One of the questions I asked in week two was, how many of you grew up studying or reading or maybe even examining the Bible? And about out of a room of that night of about 170 or so people, I got about 12 or 15 hands, which is actually a bit, kind of a lot. We typically get maybe 10 or less. Um, and then I asked the question, how many of you believe there's something on the other side of your last heartbeat that's going to last forever and you think it's going to be good? And virtually every hand in the room went up. I don't know if you were here for that, but that's what happened. And I introduced you the dash, physical life in a little ruler, and the line, a tape measure that we strung across the room that represented life after death, that life is, after death is going to last a whole lot longer than this dash that we have called life, and that none of us knows where in the continuum of life that we are. We don't know if tonight's the last night. We don't know if it's a week from tonight. We don't know if it's 10 years from tonight. We don't know. The one thing we do know, though, is that it is coming. And don't we know that it makes sense if we know it's coming? If a hurricane's coming, what do you do? You prepare for that. If death is coming, wouldn't you want to know how to prepare for that? And so, that's what we've talked about all these weeks, is what does the Bible say about life in the dash? Can we know and experience life as God would have us experience life in the dash, so that when our heart stops, after it beats its last, we will know that we will be with Him forever, and if what the Bible says is true... No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor entered into the heart of man all that God has prepared for those who love him. And I think that's a challenge to us worth taking. And thankfully, and I'm so, we are so grateful that so many of you have, have stayed and have learned and listened to CDs and have, have been a part of this. So, and you've thought, maybe you've thought more about this over the course of these last nine weeks, tonight, tenth session than you ever have. I want to give you some quotes because you know we've talked about C.S. Lewis. Everybody knows, or most everybody knows about C.S. Lewis. They certainly know about the Chronicles of Narnia. Well, C.S. Lewis, this atheist professor of ancient English literature, became a follower of Jesus. We've talked about him through the weeks. And, uh, and Lewis had some really interesting quotes. And I just want to throw a couple of quotes up at you here tonight. So maybe you want to take a... I know Lorenzo is really good at taking a picture of the slides. And I appreciate, I appreciate that. They're not copywritten, so you don't have to worry about that. But, uh, but let me just show you this picture of, and this quote from Lewis. There'll be four quotes. This is the first quote. He says, we all want progress, right? We would agree that, with that. We all want progress. But if you're on the wrong road... Progress means doing an about turn, or we would say an about face, and walking back to the right road. In that case, the man who turns back the soonest is the most progressive. And wouldn't you agree with that? I mean, how could you argue with that statement? As soon as you realize that I'm going in the wrong direction, well, let me just continue to go in the wrong direction to see how really lost I truly am. No, you find out that you're going in the wrong direction and you turn and you go in the right direction. I mean, that, that's kind of a story of my life. And anybody else who's gotten in the wheelbarrow or received the gift or said, I do. My life was going in the wrong direction. And by God's grace, he put up a stop sign in front of me and a U-turn. 
And what that meant is, Frank, your life is going in the wrong direction. You're living in the wrong direction. But I have life for you. You are not making progress here. You are moving in a direction, but it is not a direction of progress. It is not a direction where you want to end up. Here's one of his quotes. He says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable, probable explanation is that I was made for another world. In other words, if you've basically gotten what you believe life is and it still left you empty, if you were here for week one, you saw some of the people that Pastor Keith Collins put up there where they'd, they'd won the Super Bowl. They were empty. Ted Turner has basically everything there is to have. And it's just an, an, an empty bag is what he said. Over and over and over again, people that we would say, oh, man, I'd do anything to be in their place have said, Get it all and realize it's nothing. And this is what he says here. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in the world can satisfy, well, maybe the answer is I wasn't made for this world. Maybe I was made and I'm living in this dash preparing me for the line. Another quote. He says, aim at heaven, you get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you get neither. He's basically saying here, if in the dash you realize there is a God who superintends over everything and desires for you to experience him, for you to trust him with everything there is about your life, the good, the bad, the ugly. He says, if you look to him in the dash, you will find him like you never could have imagined in the line. See, you aim at heaven earth gets thrown in. In other words, if you live for him in this world, though we will have tribulation and difficulty, and every one of us knows that, this God lowered himself, came down into earth, and took upon himself all of our sins so that in the midst of this world, we could know forgiveness, acceptance, belonging, nearness, forgiveness. We could know this in this world. Get a taste of it in this world so that when our heart stops, we will know that forever with him. Last quote. He who plans for this life but fails to plan for the next is wise for a moment but a fool forever. That, that, that quote moves me, really. I, I want to take us into our Alpha Bible here for just a moment. Um, I want you to turn to page 965. I didn't put a screen up for this. Page 965, if you don't have an Alpha Bible and you're going, okay, where's that in my Bible? It's Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. And if you need a Bible now, just let me know. Anybody need a Bible? Or you can just peek off the person next to you. Page 965. Jesus is telling a story. Actually, he's interacting with somebody who's jealous about his brother. 
It's Luke chapter 12, verse 13. You see at the bottom, inside, right hand, the parable of the rich fool. I'll just read this to you. Just follow with me, if you will. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance he possesses. Or the abundance of his possessions, I'm sorry. And he told them a parable, a story, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Lewis's quote, He who plans for this life but fails to plan for the next is wise for a moment, but a fool forever. I mean doesn't matter how it doesn't mean you can't have things it doesn't mean you can't be wealthy and affluent it's not that as i said we can't have things but when these things have us they become our gods and so jesus went on to say this he said um well, what does it profit a man or a woman if he or she gains the whole world or loses or forfeits his soul? What does it profit any of us even if we get our name put on a building because we've given so much? They, uh, an organization is named after us. What, what does it profit that person If he forfeits his soul for those things. And as I shared with you a little bit. I I was that fool. Living for myself. But God opened my eyes to see. It profited me nothing. He opened his eyes and he turned me. On that road that I was going in the wrong direction. Early in my life he turned me. To see that the one I needed to seek for first, or the place I needed to seek for first, or the goal I needed to seek for first, was God's kingdom. And as God led me to do that, and others of you have this story in the room as well, as God led me, as Jesus said, to seek him first, and that which was important to him, all these other things were added. That is what he did. And many of you, my many of you have, 
have gotten in the wheelbarrow during this alpha. You have said I do to him. You have received the gift. And as strange as that sounds, um, uh, you've just been born. (laughs) You're brand new. You've been born into a new family. And though you may be naturally mature and educated in many ways, spiritually, just like I was, like many of us in here, you were a newborn. And there's excitement with that. Often, surrendering to Christ comes with a lot of excitement, doesn't it? But that excitement has a way of of leveling out. The emotions level out. And that is a good thing. That is a gift of God when the emotions level out because God doesn't just want us to live in the area of emotional high. He wants us to live in faith. This is something a a brilliant woman said um, that I think is really important for us to hear. Um, Oh, that's net. Um, When we first surrender our lives to Christ, we walk by feel. Then as we mature in him, we start to walk by faith. In other words, we surrender in faith. We trust him. We have experienced his love and his presence. And we, that faith decision gets met with emotions. God is emotion. I mean, if we have emotions, guess where they came from? The God who created us in his image. But what God does, not because he's angry with us, is he begins to let the emotions wane, the feelings wane, so that we will live by faith. Live in spite of the way we feel. If I'm going to make the most of the rest of my life, I can't count on the way I feel all the time. Because the way I feel all the time is not how God would have me live. He wants to grow me in faith. But you know, just like you grow up as a, as a child, when you begin to grow, many people get growing, growing pains, right? And growing pains, they, they hurt, but what are they? They're a sign of progress when I step out beyond the pain and grow through, through the pain. Um, and, and when we fall, and, look, and I know many of us want to do this, okay, I've, 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 I've heard this so many times, where... Someone's like, man, I felt, I just felt it and I don't feel it anymore. And it's like they want to break a glass and, you know, just pull out. Oh, wait, here's that prayer. Here's that prayer I prayed. Let me just see if I can inject this back into my veins or something here. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Um, And I mean, if you ever don't feel like your parent's child, you're your parent's child. Whether you feel like it or not. And so we're going to fall. We're going to make mistakes. And you don't let your kid go back to crawling, do you, when they fall down? Would you, would you, would you let them? Well, just continue to crawl till you feel like walking. No, you're not going to do that because you want them to progress. You want them to grow up. And God wants you and me to grow up. Well, how do we do that? How do I grow in my faith? Well, let's see one of the things that the Scripture, the scripture tells us. Okay. The Bible tells us, Paul told, told the church at Rome, he said, faith comes by hearing. Okay, so you want faith? Here's how faith comes. Here's how faith shows up. Here's how faith arrives. It comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And so 
reading God's word, hearing God's word, memorizing God's word, ingesting God's word builds our faith. It comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And a couple of things. Knowing him comes from hearing. And knowing him grows by the word of Christ. Trusting him comes from hearing. And trusting him grows by the word of Christ. Falling in love with him comes from hearing. And that love grows by the word of Christ. Having strength to endure comes from hearing. And growing in him comes by the word of Christ. Understanding him comes from hearing. And understanding, am I getting the point across here? Understanding grows, and then I think that was it. Okay, so anyway, but do we see the point here? This word he gave us is so you and I will grow in him. That when my emotions, my feelings tell me something to the contrary, I know this, feelings you've changed. But my God has not changed. My feelings may not feel right right now. But this God who made me says, and his word says, I am the Lord your God and I do not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I need to know that. You've needed to know that. And you and I will need to know that. And so, this word that he gives us is a feast for faith. It is a feast for faith. So, we must put ourselves in a place to hear it. And that's what Pastor Keith talked about a couple of weeks ago when he talked about what, what's the importance of the church. It's important together, individually, we ingest and feed on this word so so what do we do now as i said it's just surrendering it's just the beginning of a lifelong relationship with god based on his performance not ours he wants us to live as dependent children trusting him so what do we do now well here's again just one of the many things and i'll share this with you from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 12, 1 and 2. This is what he says. He says, I urge you, therefore, brothers, sisters, in view of God's mercies, okay, because of God's mercy, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So what is Paul saying here? Well, let me just make it maybe a little bit more clear to us. Paul is saying, now based on God's mercy, this is the first thing. If we don't hear this part, we won't hear the rest of it. Because of God's mercy to you, because of God sending his son, because of God realizing you and I don't have a chance without the blood of Jesus Christ covering and cleansing us of all of our sins. Okay? Because of that, because of that, because of his mercy, Be with him. Don't go to him or present yourself to him based on you had a really good day that day and you feel like you're worthy of coming. It is always that we are present with God because of his mercy and his work, not our own. If I'm going to make the most of the rest of my life, I have to have this pounded into my heart and head. Or I will only feel as good or presentable to God as I feel feel like I've had 
a good day. You got to hear that. I got to hear that. I've been a Christian for 41 years. I still need to remind myself of that multiple times in the day. Present yourself. Hang out with him. He has made us alive. The Bible says, if you are in Christ, and Christ is holy, he has made us holy. Because he's given us Christ's life. It doesn't mean I always live that way. It doesn't mean I am perfect But I am perfectly his. Big difference. And I need to hear that. That's based on his mercy. And don't continue the way you don't continue to live the way you lived. In other words, don't be conformed any longer to the way you lived when you were when you were you know that I can't go by without okay. When you were in Adam, don't live like you lived then there, because you don't live there anymore. You're a new creation. You are in Christ. And He is transforming you. We talked about the Holy Spirit last Tuesday and over the weekend. He is the one who has, as we as we look to grow in Him, He is the one that transforms us and renews our minds, changes the way we think, our desires. What's, what's attractive to us and what's not? He does that. But until you and I see our need for that, we'll just be happy to go about being successful in our careers, thinking we're never going to die. We'll be happy to go about being the, the, the class clown. We'll be happy going about just having what we think we need. And the whole way we are progressing down the wrong road. If what the Bible says is true, we are progressing down the wrong road. To a Christless eternity. And God has put up a stop sign. In the the form of a cross. To turn us around from living for ourselves. I will never be able to say to God. Why didn't you make it clear to me? If you're here in this room tonight. He's making it clear. Beyond my words. How do I make the most of the rest of my life? Well, if you're in the wheelbarrow, here's the good news. The question is, how will God make the most of the rest of my life? Because if you or I, you and I am in Christ, I am no longer my own, the Bible says. I have been bought with a price so I can worship God in my body and enjoy his love for me and express my love for him by the way I love you. Wow. What is this telling me? That the new life that God has given me has its source from living life toward and with him. Remember from week six, remember we talked about the more I, we talked about this with, uh, with Forrest and Diane. Didn't we talk about it with you guys? The more you knew him, or he knew you, the more you know someone, you like them, the more you trust them, the more you trust them, the more you love them, the more you love them, you wanna, the more you want to serve them. See, my, my life with my wife has gotten richer and richer over the 41 years because we've continued to know one another. And um, sometimes she even likes me, which is good. I like that. Um, we, like, you know, we like one another. So we trust one another. And that builds our love even more. And our desire to serve one another is out of a heart of love and gratitude. 
Not just for her, but for the God that gave me her. And that's a supernatural work of God. That's nothing she and I could have conjured up by ourselves. And something we've had to work with. So here's what's so cool along with that as I talk about 41 years of, of marriage. The more my life is planted in knowing him, the more God transforms me to delight in living a fruitful life in dependence on him. But understand this, growth is organic. Growth is organic and it takes time and attention. It takes time and attention. Let me share with you, Apostle Paul kind of touched on this a little bit. In Ephesians chapter 3, his letter to the church at Ephesus, he says this. He says, and I pray that you, I, I underlined these words for us, being rooted and grounded in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. And if you're in Christ, that's, that's you. Together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that love, this love that surpasses your natural ability to know something. Right? Surpasses understanding. Why? So that you can be filled to all the fullness of God. So what is Paul saying? He prays that we would be rooted and grounded in love for a reason. And what's the reason? So we'd have power together. Power together. All of us together. Not just us individually on our own, but power together. So we could grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. We can grasp that. Not just know about it, some ethereal, ephemeral type of thought. But we can know this love of Christ and this Christ of love. That surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Why would I not want that? Why would I not receive that gift? What could be better than that? So he roots us and he grounds us. He, another translation is rooted and established. He plants us firmly in himself. We're a, we are planted into Christ. Remember John, 20, John 10, 28 says, and no one will snatch you out of my hand. And Paul again writes in Colossians, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing of the knowledge of God. So the more we are rooted and grounded and growing as we, we are watered with God's word and with fellowship with one another, we strengthen, our roots go deeper into Christ. And we increase in the knowledge of him. You notice these two scriptures. Everything about them is about growing in the knowledge of Christ. And that's about seeking God first. And when that happens, if you're a doctor, you'll be a doctor like never before. If you're a teacher, you'll be a teacher like never before. If you're a homemaker, you'll be a homemaker like never before. A grandmother, grandfather, retired man, woman, engineer. Whatever you are, you'll be like never before because you will be rooted and grounded in Christ. You'll have a new, new meaning, a new purpose. And it will drive you in your profession, not for your personal gain, but so that Christ would be magnified. He changes our want to because he changes who we are and makes us a new person in him. And there is nothing like that.
So he calls us to examine ourselves for the capability of living a fruitful life in Christ. Now, how are we doing time-wise? Not good as ever. Um, I blame it on graduation tonight, though. So I want you to turn, your, um, turn to page 930. So we're just a few pages away. Page 930. It's Luke. Uh, pardon me. It's Mark chapter 4. I think that's right. Mark 4. Yes. Verses 13 through 20. Now this is called the parable of the sower. Or it could be called the parable of the soils. There's four different types of soils. All right? Four soils. Here they are. The seed that fell by the roadside. The seed that fell into shallow soil among the weeds. And the seed that grows in fertile soil. All right? So what we're seeing here is four different soils. There's a sower. There's one who sows the seed. And he throws this seed. And the seed is a, a picture of the gospel. The soil is our hearts. Just read with me. Uh, Verse 13, did I say? So he said to them, to his disciples, because they didn't get what he was saying. He says, do you not understand this story, this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And the ones along the path where the word is sown... And these are the ones, forgive me, along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on the rocky soil. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. They have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones... Sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And so, four types of soil here. There's the, there's the seed that fell by the soil, and immediately the seeds are stolen away by the birds. It makes no impact on the life whatsoever. Again, I want, us to, I want you to consider right now, what's my category? Because Jesus is saying this so that you and I can look at a category. There are, there are several ways you can teach this passage of Scripture. But I'm teaching it now from the perspective of I am now hearing the word of God maybe for the first time and in a way in which I've never heard it before. Okay? If it's hit the side of the road and been taken away by, by um, birds, you're probably not here listening to me not by now because you would not have endured this for 10 weeks. Really. Or maybe it's a seed that fell, fell by the shallow soil. You've never heard anything like this before. This is... This is this is the best thing since sliced bread. This is, this is great news. I, don't, I can't earn my way to heaven and God has given me Christ and I'm, I'm all excited about this. But there's no root. It's been exciting for a short time. And difficulties come and it's burned up as if it were never there. 
And then there's a third soil. It's good soil. But that good soil is feeding lots of weeds. Those weeds are taking over that soil. And it's choking out that seed that as it tries to come up, it is unfruitful because the weeds are taking and sucking away all the nourishment from the soil. It's choked out. The worries of the world. The deceitfulness of riches. And caring about other things more than knowing Christ does not allow there to be fruitfulness, eternal fruitfulness. And then there's the fourth soil. This is the enduring soil. This is the soil where the soil's weeded. And I tell you what, I'll say this for those of us who are in Christ. Weeding never stops. Okay? I hate weeding. Um, this kind of weeding is even more difficult. Because I'm constantly being on the alarm of what's trying to come in and suck the life out of me. But for those who endure, it brings forth a harvest 30, 60, 100 fold. It is the most joyful life because it is experiencing freedom from having to keep up with the Joneses, freedom from having to be first in the class. Not that you shouldn't desire to be as successful as you can be, but that success is never greater than your desire to know Christ and make him known. That's a struggle. That's a fight. I'm not, that sounds easier. That's more difficult to do than I just said it is. But the Christian life is a, basically a two-step. It's surrender and trust. It's faith and trust. It's surrendering to him and it's trusting him and it's persevering to the end. And it's the spirit of God who started this work in us and it's the spirit of God who completes this work in us. I don't know that I've got that. I'm not going to do that. I don't want to do that. So that's what he does. He who began this work in us is faithful to complete it until we see Jesus Christ. And about 19 years ago, Actually, about 20 years ago, I met a couple that, um, through our son Paul, going to Ridgewood Academy. Ridgewood Academy? No. Ridgewood Prep. Forgive me for anyone thinking it was an academy. I don't know, I don't know what an academy is. Um, Donnie and Judy Bourgeois. And uh, my son Paul played on the same team as their son, Brennan. And um, we got to know them and got to know them particularly closely as a difficulty took place in their life. But I, I've asked Donnie and Judy to come and not just talk to them about their story, um, which you would sit here literally all night to hear, uh, but their lives over the last 20 years and how they have not just let it, their lives be shallow soil or weed-filled soil, but hearts that have borne fruit for God and what that has meant for them and their family and so many around them. So, Donnie, Judy, would you guys please come and just share with us? These are two precious ones. I love you. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you.
Well, good evening. Uh, I'm Donnie Bourgeois, and this is my wife, Judy. Uh, I'm going to start with a little nostalgia question. Uh, does anybody remember uh, Frank's skating ring on West Napoleon? Yeah, <laughs> look at here. Yeah, well, uh, 48 years ago, uh, I was a skate boy there, and... Um, Judy came in one night with her sister, and lo and behold, she came back the next week. Uh, and here we are 48 years later. <laughs> uh, as the Lord would have it, right? Uh, fast forward uh, 17, 18 years ago, uh, we had a conversation. Um, self-employed. Um, we have four beautiful children. We live in a nice home. Got a camp, boat, a few dollars in the bank. We looked at each other and says, there's got to be something more to life than this. We're missing something. Something's missing. Well, a year later, after Christmas, I leave on the 27th and go up to Woodville, Mississippi to go hunting. Uh, pouring down rain. Pouring down rain that night. We were all in the camp. Well, there was only two of us got up the next morning to go hunting. It was pouring down rain. Clyde, buddy of mine, worked for energy. Cell phones had just, just was starting to come out. No, no service, right? No service up there. Woodville, Mississippi. Um, so he, Clyde drops me off. And he goes into his stand. It's still dark. It's raining. I wasn't sitting probably 10 minutes. And actually, you know, I hear my name being yelled out in the woods. Donnie! Donnie! I said, oh, this doesn't sound good. So I climb down, get out of the stand, meet him on the road. He's got his cell phone, and Judy's on the phone. And she says, uh, Brennan's in the hospital. He's in a coma. Well, I dropped to my knees, and I said, Lord, please don't let anything happen to him. And uh, Clyde says, come on, let's go. I'm taking you back into, into New Orleans. So he drove me back in uh, to charity where Brennan was. Well, he was out the night before with his girlfriend. It was her friend's birthday. And they were at a place called Jimmy's off of Carrollton. And they were all dancing and having a good time. He was the senior. Um, and this kid had the GHB drug, the date braid drug, and a Gatorade bottle. Well, Brennan loved Gatorade. Well, he picked it up and he drank half the bottle. Well, it suppressed him to the point it stopped him from breathing. So his girlfriend asked the bartender to get him, call an ambulance, and he said, get him out of here, he's drunk. So the boy knew what he had drank, knew it was in the bottle. He says, come on, let's go. I got to put him in my car. I got to take him to the hospital. So he put him in the car, drove him halfway around the block. He stopped. He says, I can't take him. I got all this other paraphernalia in my car. So they had to take him out of the car, put him in another car. Chad Godin was one of his good friends. Put him in Chad's truck and brought him to Charity Hospital. Well, they got him to Charity, and they said he had stopped breathing 10 to 12 minutes. So he was brain dead. So when I got to the hospital, of course, I ran... I ran around looking for my wife and my son, and I found them. And there was Brennan laying in the bed, just like 18-year-old healthy son. 
just like he was sleeping. I crawled up next to him, hugged him, kissed him, told him I loved him. Well, medically speaking, he was in the hospital for 11 days, and we did everything we possibly could. Put him in hyperbaric chambers, um, just everything, medically speaking, we did for him. Well, a gentleman came up the second day and uh, had went to his son had gone to Ridgewood. And uh, he came up, and of course, they had, I don't know how many people were up there. And he says, I said, you mind if I go in and pray over Brennan? I said, no, absolutely not. So he went in and prayed over him, and he came out. And, you know, there's some things that go on in our lives we just will never forget. And I remember him sitting in this corner for like three hours. And he got up, and he walked to me, and he says, uh, if you get a chance, I'd like for you to read this. So I took it and I put it in my back pocket. Well, that night I took it out and I read it. It's called Steps to Peace with God. And I read it again. Just about six or seven little pages with some illustrations with Bible verses. And I read it again. Well, I did what he told me to do. And for the next eight days in that hospital, I don't have time to tell you tonight what took place, but we were approached by Lopa. I didn't know who Lopa was. That was the organ transplant people. We met with them on the eighth day. And me and my wife went into the office, sat in, the, in front of the desk, and she asked us if we would donate Brennan's organs. And we looked at each other without hesitation, and said we would. So eight people's lives were saved by us making that, that call that night. It wasn't that my son was going to live and nobody else was. It was we made this decision that we would donate his organs. Now I look back and I see what that gentleman had given me and what I read and she was following, just following in my footsteps because she hadn't read it. So, Brennan's organs are donated. We have his funeral. We get invited to come to an Alpha. I tell my wife, I say, we're going to Alpha. She says, I'm not going. She says, what is Alpha? I said, I don't know, but we're going. <laughs> well, we came. And we couldn't wait for the next week. And then I get a revelation. I never knew what a revelation was. But when God gives you a revelation, it goes right here in this heart, and you'll never lose it. You'll never lose it. And I picked that Bible up, as he told me to, and I started reading. And I opened up to John. John 14, 27 says, Jesus says, Peace I leave you with. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give. He says, Do not let your hearts be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Let me tell you something, folks. That came off the page of that Bible into this heart, and I've never lost it now for 19 years. Never lost that peace. Never lost that peace. She couldn't understand, my wife couldn't understand 
what was going on in my life. Because she saw a change. She saw a transformation take place in my life. And the Spirit of God tells me now to read this word every day. So now I'm 19 years every day. I haven't missed a day since then reading his word. He gets me up at 4 o'clock every morning. Every morning. I get to get up, read his word, pray, and here we are, 19 years later, right? In, in Jeremiah 29, 11, he says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans for a hope and a future. And the hope is, is right here tonight. This is the hope that he's given us that we can give to you. That there is a hope, no matter what's going on in your life. But it took my wife five and a half years to find that peace that God had given me in that hospital. Peace that was beyond my comprehension. I couldn't understand it. I couldn't even, I couldn't even explain it to her. But I was asked to go to Cabrini High School to give my testimony. I had been to many other high schools. I was asked to go give my testimony. And I wound up going to Cabrini seven times. So I'd, go, I'd go on a Wednesday morning and go up into the chapel. Well, the fifth, the fifth time I was, I was fixing to go, about a week before, I saw something going on in her. In her. She, was, she was acting different. Something was, something was going on. Well, that Tuesday night before, I, she says, I want to go with you tomorrow. I said, you do? She says, yeah, I want to go with you. I said, well, you know, i got to rehash this whole thing. And when I come back, I'm just kind of like mentally drained. She said, no, I want to go. So we went. She came with me the next morning. And I go up into the chapel. I give the story. I give testament. I give the girls a little Q&A time. And then she got up. And I'm going to let her speak. My journey was totally different from his. I was very angry in the beginning, not at God, I just didn't understand why. Things that you, like that don't happen to us. Good people do everything right, and um, there was a lot of unanswered questions that I had. And when we came to the first Alpha, I, I stayed in bed the whole time until we started Alpha, and the first one I came to, everybody was so nice. It was just, it was hard to believe. And when we walked out, he said, did you like it? I said, we were in the twilight zone. <laughs> that was the twilight zone, believe me. I said, nobody's that nice on their own. And uh, it was like, but I went back to the twilight zone for the next 10 weeks. <laughs> but um, what I want to say is that I didn't, Coming here to church, having a relationship with Jesus Christ, having a church family, the pastors, and only God. He is the only one that can bring you through something like this. Because I could never stand up here and do this if he didn't. And he's the one that had me the whole time, those five and a half years. He's the one that loved me unconditionally and knew what I needed. And you can't go through any circumstance in your life unless you have God in it. And he will bring you through it. And that's the relationship you develop with him, the trust that grows, and your faith that grows in him. I didn't 
I didn't go to, we didn't go to psychiatrists. I didn't take any depressants. I didn't go to compassionate friends. This is what I needed right here. God, the pastors, Frank and Annette, my church family, even though I made those five and a half years not say much, I knew they were at my fingertips, and if I needed them, they would be right there for me. And whatever we tell you, we tell you from the heart. I don't have to read a paper. It's what we truly believe and want everybody to know. And um, if, uh, if God came to me today and said, Judy, you can have your son back, but you have to step back into the world, not live the life you're living, and you won't have that relationship with me, then you can have him back. I wouldn't change that. I wouldn't have him back on this earth. He's with his heavenly father. I would not do that. And that took me many years to realize, but I do mean that. So thank you all very much for listening. Um, you know, as, as I read each and every day, the Lord continuously gives me scriptures that I get to put in my toolbox that when the enemy comes that I go and I reach into and I, and I believe by faith and trust in him and he gets me through it. He gets me through it like, like, like you can't even imagine. You know, in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourself. It is a gift from God, not as a result of works. One may not boast. You know what? It's everything we have is a gift from him by his grace. My son was a gift. I didn't realize that. I know it now. Everything belongs to him. So he gets the glory for everything, for my other children, for everything that I have. And now the life that I live, I live, I live for Christ. You know, John writes, uh, uh, I mean, Paul writes to the Romans in, in, in five. He says, uh, you know, I am justified by faith to receive the peace from God. So now I get to exalt in my tribulations that my tribulations bring perseverance and perseverance brings true character and true character hope. And that hope doesn't disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within my heart through the Holy Spirit that he has given to us. And you see how all of this goes hand in hand. The hope, the peace, it's endless. It's all in there. If you just get in it and read it and open your hearts to receive it. I'm grateful for everything and for this night. And I want to say for the, for the man who gave me this, this track that night was Frank Gloria. He came up and spent his time in that hospital with me and my son and my family. And this is what the church does. This is how we build one another up. Praying for one another. Being there for one another. I never knew life could be this way. Ever in my wildest dreams could I ever think life could be this way. This is life. And I thank you, Frank. I thank you, Jesus. And I love you, Berlin. Thank you all.
All righty. Okay. Uh, What do you want to do next? Um, Ronald, would you come on up and we will... uh, We'll close in a song. I just want to share this. Thank you both so beyond much. Oh, yeah, and, and Donnie has brought several copies of that little booklet. If you would like that, he's got several of them here on the table. And we've got some other ones like that. We gave out a little booklet called How Good Are You? Maybe you've got that sitting around. It's very similar to this, but Donnie has got those little booklets. Thank you, Donnie. I um, just want to just make a, just a couple of comments before we close here. Um, um, it will go a little bit I know we're going a little bit long but that's okay Um, but to end this alpha I want to kind of take us back to the beginning uh, to the garden (laughs) where where God came down to Adam and called for him after he had sinned so after Adam sinned God calls for him Adam where are you? And through the centuries, really, that question through the centuries rings out to every one of us because every one of us has gone the way of our father, Adam, and sinned, rebelled against God. (laughs) But he asks that question and he continues to ask that question to us today. Where are you? Where where are you, Ronnie? Where are you, Michael? Where are you? Are you, Krista? Where are you, Lily? He asks this question to each and every one of us. He's not asking that question because he doesn't know where you are. He wants to know where you are. He wanted to know where I was with him as it pertained to my relationship with him. Where, where was I? Do you know? Well, of course you do. You couldn't sit through these 10 weeks and not have a clearer understanding of what the Bible says. But here's one of the beauties of the Garden of Eden and the very beauty of where we live. Did God know where Adam was? Did God know what Adam had done? Did he know the mess he had made? Of course he did. And what did God do in that garden? God came looking for Adam, though he knew what he had done in rebellion against him. And so the question, does God know where you are? What you have done? Does he know the mess you have made? Of course he does. And what has God done in this garden, this New Orleans, Louisiana? Well, the same thing he did in Eden. He came looking and he has come looking for each and every one of us. The same God that said to Adam asks and asks you and me, where are you? Is the same one in Jesus who says, I know where you are and I've come looking for you and I've found you. Now come to me. Don't hide anymore because there's nothing you can hide from me and I want you just the way you are. You see, if we don't come to Jesus, we're coming to something else. 
We're giving ourselves to someone else. Because like Bob Dylan's song said, is, said you're going to serve somebody. But Jesus said, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. And no one has the life unless they come through me to the Father. And so the question as we ask this Alpha is, where are you? God will continue to ask you, where are you? Because though Alpha may be done, God is not done. He will not stop communicating to you when we flicker the lights tonight for the last time on Alpha. He will continue to communicate. He will continue to woo us. So our encouragement to you, hoping you'll come back to beta, but if you don't, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. God will still be and never stop listening. So again, for all of you who have been a part of this, allowed strangers to become friends, become a part of this group on Tuesday nights, thank you so much. It has been a joy and an honor to get to know you and we truly hope you'll be with us uh, next week. Um, But before we close, um, I asked Ronald to lead us in this last song, Your Amazing Grace, and uh, I'll need to slide through some slides to get us there. So... Let's stuff a few things out tonight. Um, oh, end of presentation. Okay. Let's sing this song together. Your grace opens the way that I might draw near to you with a heart full of faith. Your grace is all undeserved, though there are times I fail, still you are with me. Let's sing that verse again. Your grace opens the way. That I might draw near to you with a heart full of faith. Your grace is all undeserved. Though there are times I fail, still you are with me. Your amazing grace is perfectly free. Day by day, your grace empowering me to please you in all things, to walk in your ways. Completely forgiven, and it's all by your grace. In verse 2, your grace, your grace lightens my load, gives me the strength I need to keep walking this road.
your grace is all that I need. Though I am weak, your grace is mighty within me. Your amazing grace is perfectly free. Day by day, your grace empowering me to please you in all things, to walk in your ways, completely forgiven, and it's all by your grace. It has, <laughs> it has been a joy to spend 10 weeks with you guys, but we are not quite done. This is your very last table talk. So, Frank, we're going to take a couple minutes break, get some coffee, go use the restroom, and then enjoy your last conversation. Hopefully not your last conversation, but if it is your last conversation, enjoy it. Back in two minutes, guys.